Hello, everyone. Welcome to a Black History Month podcast. Today, we have two amazing contributions again from a member of staff, Chidi, and a student, John, who will be asking questions and answering some of the stories behind why they joined SOAS and what they think about the SOAS community. The series is part of the Black History Month podcast series where we already uh, had conversations with other staff members. So thank you for joining us, Shidi and John, and please introduce yourselves and go ahead. Hi there. My name's John Waboso Barron. I am a master's student at the School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, where I study development. Um, I have been doing this course since 2018, and I'm currently in my dissertation thesis writing stage of the course. I chose to do this part-time because I wanted to work alongside um, doing my master's so that I could get some good work experience. I've been working at the UK's development finance institution, CDC Group, and I currently work as a consultant in agriculture and private sector development alongside my master's as well. It's super interesting. Thank you. Chidi, what about yourself? Uh, hi, uh, well, I'm Chidi, um, currently teaching fellow at the Centre of International Studies and Diplomacy at SOAS. Before that time, currently as well, because the teaching fellow position aids part-time, I currently work in the banking sector, more full-time, as well as hold a role in the UN sanctions, um, Committee of Sanctions, and the member of the and a permit, uh, rooster of experts. Yeah, the, before that, I uh, got my PhD, obtained my PhD from Queen Mary University of London. Uh, main focus is international law, uh, specifically international criminal law and law of armed conflict. Taught a bit at Queen Mary as an associate lecturer and also for about a year at um, South Africa. I did my postdoctoral uh, post fellowship at the University of Witwatersrand called VITS for about a year, all over about Africa and African peace, human rights in Africa. My motivation really um, for going to the academia and then, you know, many international laws, more of when I was not really growing up, yeah, I would say it's part of growing up. There was so much armed conflicts in Africa, particularly the Western part of Africa. And so the interest was to be to contribute to resolving those conflicts. So it's kind of drew me to to the academia and then and at some point um, realized that it's quite a task to be in the academia. Thank you, Chidi. Chidi, thanks for introducing yourself and giving us a little bit of background. Please, I'd just like you to tell us what has drawn you to academia and your particular area of research. Yes, uh, well, academia, it's, um, it's one of those roles of professional callings that gives you a platform to influence things. My main focus had been to contribute to resolution of conflicts in Africa, probably the world. My interest core core interest mainly in Africa. And as you can see on the surface it looks like there's not much conflicts currently in Africa, but there are loads of underlying conflicts and quasi conflicts in different places, particularly within uh, migration of um of uh, terrorist fighters from you know the MENA area more of up from the north down to the, the sub-Saharan region. So the conflict is still ongoing and steaming in different parts of 
of the continent. There's a lot of work going on in international organizations and the rest. So the, the academic platform gives you the opportunity to work towards resolving conflicts without being immersed in the conflicts. You know, you're more like advising the advisors, you're advising the mediators, you're advising those on how. And occasionally you get the chance, like the sanctions committee chance or UN um, platforms to be involved directly in in negotiations, peace meetings, or preparing or packaging um, or institutions, organizations within the continent itself. So core, core purpose and interest is mainly uh, conflict resolution in Africa, and that that actually drew me towards uh, the academia. It's a really interesting area of research that you're in. Um, could you maybe talk us through some of um, the challenges that you've faced as a black scholar in your area of research? The challenge of being a black scholar is. I'll go from the general to the particular. It's where my name specific. You know, it is a is a black scholar. So, um, you probably, I suppose, one of the problems the scholarship it has is publishing. You've got to always publish, holding down a a full time position in an academic setting, which some people have a challenge of. But it's then again, I must say, it could be a unique problem, not just to to a black person um then again we particularly it's a general challenge but because of we being in a minority it, the challenge seems more glaring to us the social economic context of the system not just in the uk means that uh, for a black scholar you may not get some opportunities as your other colleagues who have. But if you do get those opportunities, you may not be able to afford to spend one year at the Hague without being paid, uh, while <laughs> someone else may be able to afford those opportunities. It may it may not be for me that may be because I'm a um, first generation um, immigrant. Um, maybe a second generation will have this challenge that I'm just identifying that. So, but however, in the in- international space, that of that disadvantage often turns out to be an advantage because sometimes you look at positions, they are looking for someone with experience um, on African conflicts or someone particularly from the African region or someone they're looking for a lady, a female, um, black female or minority female. So uh, it's my area of specialization. They had that disadvantage or challenges within the national sector in the UK, uh, which may be worse if I have to go to Europe. UK is better than a lot of parts of Europe. Uh, America may be better than UK. However, on the international platform, I may have an advantage over, um, say, a British, white British person, because he may not have the experience I have coming from Africa. He may not be an African because they may look, for, they may look, be looking for someone from an African background. And, and so kind of, you can't really say it's a peculiar challenge. But overall, the challenges are still there. You know, you have to f- cross and jump over hollows that someone may not jump over and may not have that because of where he was born, how he was born, what color of skin he is. It, it's okay. It may be a bit 
pedestrian to say the system is racist. But if you look at, I don't know if any of you read Malcolm Gladwell, there's a book he wrote called Outliers. In Outliers, he talks about how people get popular, successful, not just because of normal conditions or the things we hear about success, which is like goals, setting goals, having dreams. But some people, a lot of times, people are successful based on the family, where they were born, when they were born, where they grew up. And he used certain examples in the book, like Bill Gates um, had opportunity to to encounter computers because of being born in a family that was a middle class that was able to afford the kind of schools that he went to. And he encountered computers in those 70s or 60s where most people wouldn't encounter computers in the urban (laughs) communities. And so there's also that perspective of looking at it, um, that it may not be purely saying that the system is angled against me. It may just be that there are other factors in play on which, as a result of where you were born, how you were born, you don't have access to certain things. And it's not solely because it is a, is, is a system that is rigged against you, but it's just the workings of a system such that someone born in London may have more advantages over someone born in um, Lusaka, you know, or, or, or that, uh, I'm not sure I'm putting this right, but I'm just trying to say the challenges will always be there based on your particular context. And then we just have to make up your minds that well, whatever challenges are, I'm going to kind of, there could be also advantages based on my peculiar context. I just have to walk through it and see how I can make the most of what I have. That's about, that's about it. Actually, I think that I think you've made some incredibly pertinent points there. I think this idea that is emerging that it is now a huge advantage to be, you know, BAME, to be black and minority ethnic, or to be a woman, or to be somehow disadvantaged because you know certain companies are now and and research institutions, for example, are now having this targeted approach and sort of like an affirmative action when it comes to 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 hiring. I think, yeah, I think is is strange um, because then there's the other side of the coin where, you know, there's certain opportunities maybe because, like you said, you're first generation university goer or first first generation in a, you know, in a Western country. It makes it incredibly difficult to access certain opportunities, especially these sort of unpaid internships or unpaid research opportunities where you're just you're just unable to do it. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly something that I've come up against and, and a reason why I decided to do my, my master's degree part time simply because I couldn't afford to take a, an entire year out um, working. You know, I had to supplement that by by doing other things. And, you know, there's lots of opportunities that come our way as master's students and so as a lot of them sometimes are unpaid. For example, obviously the UN has now changed it, but, you know, a lot of the UN internships at one point were, were unpaid and now they, they, they pay very little, but we all know the, the living costs um, in, you know, these, in, you know, UN, um, yeah, in Geneva and so, and so forth are, 
yeah, they're incredibly high. And so it means you just simply can't access them. Um, so yeah, having a diverse set of opportunities, which, you know, people from different contexts and different backgrounds can access, I think is, is huge and is always going to be an issue um, when you're black and approaching the sector. Um, thank, you well, thank, you for that. Yeah. thank you for that, John. I think that's a really good reflection, specifically from a student perspective. We often, when we're thinking about the difficulties in academia, we not necessarily look at the issues of, for example, internships, access to um, to job for students from a particular background, and even as academics, as Black academics in the sector, um, we can say that there are, in some cases, there are opportunities when you are specialized in a particular area, a particular region, but we know that the difficulties are still there. So getting through that door is still an issue for um, a lot of people in the industry. So talking about the challenges from not only the perspective of still studying and trying to get into sectors where academic work is actually also very important is an important value of this conversation. So thank you for that. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Um, Following on from this, you know, we've spoken about challenges, uh, but it's also important to note that there is hope and challenges do come with huge amount of success as well. So, Chidi, maybe you could talk through some of the, the pivotal pivotal moments in your career thus far. Well, I would say um, we'll always stand on the back of um, those that have come, have come uh, ahead of us. So um, looking at a few days ago, Ngozi Okonjo Nguela being um, winning the seat as WTO head. Uh, you look at people like um, Judge Chile Ebuyosiji as the... Um, ICC president and who incidentally gave me one of my best chances, you know, when I worked at the International Criminal Court. He he personally, he wasn't the president then. He read one of the articles I had written on Kenya arguing against or arguing for the International Criminal Court to be involved in Kenya and still noting that it may be very difficult for the court to make any headway in Kenya. Then again, I had point where the court was it was necessary for the court to get into that um, to resolve that conflict in Kenya. Being the presiding judge of the of the part of the chambers, then trying the Kenyan president. He, uh, I think I was in South Africa. He gave me a call and I arranged for me to come over and work at the Hague. Of course. Based on what challenge we mentioned before, he was unpaid. <laughs> and just I have a family, I'm uh, unpaid um, professional time on the Hague. And I could only say, I'm, I'm going to work for a month. I'm not going to do more than a month. But he was offering three months, six months. And I was trying to push me to some other areas in the in the. And within the court as well. So the challenge for me at the time was taking this opportunity as it is and then progressing in this area or taking the little chance I can of this opportunity and then making the most of it. Um, so I did this later. Uh, took the little chance, did not get established in the institution. But however, having used that, um, I, I did see that he opened a couple of other doors, including one of which was the United Nations, um, a chance and a few other opportunities to get uh, more work done in the in the practice side of international law, not just scholarship, but it's all uncalled on scholarship. And um, the, also having supervisors or a relationship with setting scholars that kind of help put you in the in the position to be successful. Um, it's it's something one 
it's not always one doesn't always well, i think it's more of a serendipitous journey for each person and for each person to recognize um those moments you know your defining moments and then to making the most of the defining moments rather than shrinking from the challenge posed by um, that defining moment so I, i've got quite a few of them um <laughs> that happened to me and this is just one of those ones that kind of stand out and i do still remember it thank you very much for that Chidi. um it's great to hear of some of the the successes that come with um come in your particular capacity in, in academia um can i maybe ask how you've incorporated these successes in your in your teaching and how you communicate that to the student body well you you have no you have little choice but but to incorporate that in not in a way as to gloat, but in in trying to pass across um, certain aspects of the teaching or in individually mentoring some students you know you, you can always encourage people to do certain things um, uh, I've always mostly had the chance to teach master students so I try to motivate them to write if you're writing your essay write to essay like you intend to publish it give it your best shot and then try and publish it you know um, just think like the the your North American colleagues who always always going towards publishing always going towards intending for law students in one major court or one top place or the other but for us it's well as an academic it's not only the teaching it's also the pastoral so i find that i tend to give more when i have the pastoral opportunity um the the teaching you can only give something that applies to everyone and tried but you don't only teach you teach and motivate um, make sure they get the core principles of the subject they're teaching and they're using examples of the field work the United Nations and International Criminal Court um, in addressing or emphasizing a point however um, it's also important to try to motivate some some my students to try to um, be the best they can be and take up opportunities wherever those opportunities lie Thank you, Chidi. Uh, John, you've been at SOAS for two years now. Have you had any particular experience with a lecturer or a professor that has really motivated you in either your work or your inspiration to what you want to do after you finish? Thank you for that. That's a good question. Um, as of yet, I, I can't say that I, I really have. And I think that's quite a sad thing um, that I haven't really come across that in my time at SOAS. Um, of course, a lot of the lecturers and a lot of my seminar leaders have been have been ace. They've been very supportive um, and understanding of, of my work commitments. Um, but, yeah, they haven't really motivated me necessarily in that way. I can certainly speak of, of other people that um, have motivated me in my life. I'm, I'm also an affiliate of the University of the West Indies, uh, where they have a food security and entrepreneurship program and the founding director there is a is a native um barbadian and certainly has has, made, has given me tools for to succeed has provided me with great references for jobs 
um, giving me opportunities to contribute to projects on the islands. And yeah, and I think that's really something that has been missing from my time at SOAS and is perhaps because of this lack of black faculty and the lack of connection that can come with it because you don't necessarily have, you know, your ambitions and your plans for the future aren't necessarily aligned. And so I think having more staff like Chidi um, would, yeah, perhaps increase the likelihood that students like me um, would be sort of would be um, would be motivated to achieve success and you know embark on careers outside of their master's degree. Thank you, and I think you raised some important points. So, having black faculty and having people that can relate to you and give you that encouragement. Have you had that experience with uh, uh, with staff at SOAS? Have you had any lectures? that were black or have you had any particular experience with black staff at SOAS at all? Because I think in, in some cases I've had students where they say they haven't had any teaching from a black staff at all. So coming to an institution like SOAS, I think this is something people expect, right? Yeah, I think to answer your question, no, I have not had any teaching from a black lecturer or, and I haven't had a seminar led by by a, a black professional and a black academic, sorry, and I think it's really sad. And it's disappointing because I came to SOAS, you know, with this this prestigious title of the School of, you know, Oriental, but most importantly to me, African Studies. Mm. Um, my whole career to date, you know, not that it's been incredibly lengthy, but it has centred around African development. You know, everything mm. I do... You know, the vast majority of things I do are centered around that private sector development and agriculture in, in Africa and somewhat in the Caribbean as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm incredibly disappointed to, to not have that. And I think it's something that SOAS needs to address urgently um, because these experiences get cascaded down to, you know, new and potential joiners of SOAS and it will just affect what their ambitions are and affect what their expectations are of the school. Thank you. Thank you for that very honest uh, opinion. That's that's really important. We need to reflect on some of our contribution as well. So what is your next question for Chidi? My next question for Chidi is, what would you like students to take away from your teaching and your mentorship? Primarily to be better than themselves. Um, for me, um, I remember not I'm sure you do. You remember your best lecturers. You remember those that motivated you the most. Um, so I'll try to put myself in a position that my student will remember in 5, 10, 15 years' time as one of those few that mentored them, that motivated them, pushed them to succeed. Um, yeah, an instance, a student last, last year, they almost gave up just because of my course, which um, I thought was quite simple. Uh, he had ulcers and stuff, so I kind of took him under my wing to, after, aside from the lectures and the tutorials, I was doing the tutorials to try and get him, you know, to see the bigger picture and look at outside the, the substance of the course to get to be a better person and um, make the most of what he has and, and look at where he's going. 
Um, yeah, so I think and that in that instance, he did very well with the course and it was happy at the end of the day rather than um, f- f- being frustrated at the time that a second half of the term. So in essence, uh, such a student, and in a few years, we remember that season that he was in a dark spot and then who helped him out and how he was probably out of my way because probably it wasn't something I had to do. But I told the, my convening colleague that I, I'll take that on, I'll, 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 I'll address that student situation. So, in a sense, it's an opportunity, but we always, I always look for opportunities. I'm sure a lot of us looking for opportunities. Um, most of us lecturing are not there because of the way it pays, but because it's more like an opportunity to give to you know you're impacting on the next generation. So that that's mm-hmm. what I would like to my students to take back that this is someone that impacted my life rather than someone that just taught me for that one year, whatever time you want to us. No, I think that's I think that's really important, and I think as as someone who's still enrolled on a master's program, I think I certainly understand the role that academics play and teachers and lecturers play in shaping you know shaping your professional life and your academic career. And yeah, you do want to have them to have a long lasting effect on you, and not simply be someone to occupy you know space and time over a, you know a year or two years of your life. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I certainly understand that. Um, in addition to this, how would you encourage black students to pursue an academic career? Is there a particular pathway that they should take? Is there, you know, you know, people always want something that's, you know, almost like a roadmap. <laughs> Sometimes it's not that easy. Hey, do you provide any, uh, any insights? Well, I will always say, if for an academic, you're always judged by the merit of what you your output. So I'll encourage any student, whether they want to take an academic career or career not, to, to get commit to writing and try and publishing try to publish stuff as early as possible. And and there are very so many opportunities and avenues and platforms in which one can publish things. Uh, I think it's one of the key ways to to get into the academia, uh, you may not get accepted in a journal in the UK, in a journal in Europe, or get accepted in a journal in um, South Africa or in Africa or in Americas. And then you build your platform from there, or you build your pedigree and your cloud from there. Before you know it, it could be that you never even get published in mainstream European journals. And yet you're getting international recognition because you've been published all over the place and then uh, organizations would have had sight of your work because it's out there and you get opportunities to do different things uh, in in the international organizations. And subsequently, that will kind of bring you back into academia, whether it's full-time or part-time. Thank you very much. That's very interesting, is it? It seems like you have sort of a... a you you split your time, don't you, between sort of academia and and sort of corporate pursuits as well. Yeah. Is that is that a is that a, a style that you'd recommend to people who want to be involved in academia? No, I would say because <laughs> I train, I would say going full full scale. However, it just depends on your personal 
circumstance at some point you've got to recognize that there are, this is where I am now what can I do to make the most of where I am at some point a couple of five years ago I realized no this is where I can do uh, I've, I've never really done my my passion I've not really carried out my passion for my field full time except the time I had the International Criminal Court that was the only time mm-hmm. a lot of times it's part time working in a law firm or in a corporate sector and makes it incredibly difficult to still publish but yeah, I now embraced it at some point at saying okay if this is the part where kind of make the most of it um and of course, then again, you've got other responsibilities to take care of, which will not be taken care of because you're an academic. Yeah, at the same time, the academia had put me, given me opportunities, which I would have, um, if I would have um, been somewhere else, probably been Nairobi or on a UN mission or Mogadishu or somewhere. Uh, which the corporate sector, legal practice sector, wouldn't have given that chance. So, I, I, while I wouldn't say, uh, I mean, it's it's one one style that fits all. Uh, what each person will have to identify what works best for him or her, or how what cards have fallen to him or her, and then make make the most of them. Very good. Thank you for that. And sort of reflecting on, on your experience in, in other institutions, some of which you just mentioned, why did you choose SOA? <laughs> did I choose SOA? So chose, so chose me different from uh, <laughs> having the choice, okay, how many institutions. So, so, so why, if, if I were to say, okay, I had a choice, then I would say that I chose SOA because of some of the things you mentioned, how unique it, it is as a position to influence things and policies and influence thinking um, uh, when it comes to the African and Asian regions. And it's so unique in the UK and Europe. Maybe in America, you have a lot more institutions that are similar to SOAS, but in the UK and Europe, it's kind of different. And because of that, if you look at the rich history SOAS has, you know, you see the footprints of the of the institution in government all over the world. So if for one to be in SOAS, then it's an opportunity to contribute to a rich history and also personally, you know, selfishly an opportunity for you to kind of go up the ranks. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know, just through that link. So that's it. Okay, that's very interesting. Do you, do you feel like there's there's the same opportunity for black students at SOAS to do the same? I do. I, I do feel so. Um, of course, not being a black student, I do feel that black students can still take advantage of the SOAS history and SOAS um, platform to do different things and get ahead. Uh, it just depends on how they are able to, to do it. And then who is the one motivating? Because your, our, our sight is always limited to who is ahead of us and who is guiding you. And like what you mentioned earlier, if you have someone that is helping you and guiding, then you'll be much better. It'll be much better for you to, much easier for you to make the right choice and get on to, and get on to achieve what you want to achieve or take the right um, take the right opportunities. And do you feel like your your reasons for choosing SOAS, the ones you just mentioned, 
Um, do you feel like they've been reaffirmed since you've since you've joined? I would say yes, even though really hindered from by due to the economic situations and the challenges so as it's facing. Okay. Aside from that, yes, I would say yes. Okay, that's uh, that's really interesting. Thank you. What about you, John? Are you still happy that you decided to do your masters at SOAS? Have some of the reasons why you chose SOAS, even though we've spoken a little bit about the lack of um, black faculty teaching in certain aspects, but in the overall sense of why you choose to to come to SOAS, do you feel like you you are satisfied? In in short, yes. I came to SOAS certainly at an inflection point in my career where I had no no experience in sort of develop, in the development world and political economy and you know in African or Oriental studies. So I came at SOAS sort of searching for something and certainly since since I joined in twenty eighteen on the master's programme I, I think I found it and found found a calling. Um, they, that may not necessarily be down to SOAS. Mm-hmm. I think, like Chidi said, I think we have to be selfish. I think I deserve some of the credit. <laughs> but um, also, no, I think SOAS has done a SOAS has done a great job for me and sort of, you know, given me great cognizance of, you know, sort of st- more structural things, um, which I definitely did not pick up on in my undergraduate which was which was at the university of york um also given me great understanding of sort of the african context and, and and history as well which we certainly have access to you know just you know you just have to walk into sas's fantastic library to library to see that so yeah i do think that and it's certainly been reaffirmed through yeah the the things i've been able to achieve since since i've joined sas you know I've done a multitude of things which I certainly wouldn't have been able to done if I didn't embark on a master's program two years ago. That's amazing. And I think this is one of the things that we do appreciate from being part of the SOAS community. It may not necessarily be that your chosen um, module or study or program will be the inspiration that will transform your future career, but it's also the people that you uh, meet, the experience that you have, the overall experience that you have. And I think in, in this case, you have an advantage <laughs> from the previous students who contributed to the podcast that you've actually had the physical experience of being in the SOAS um, campus, being at the SOAS campus where we oh, are yes. teaching. Yeah. So this is something that is indescribably SOAS and it gives you that little bit of motivation as well. So being part of that community. So thank you. Certainly. I must say that, you know, the previous contributions that you've had, if they've been sort of first years and haven't experienced a SOAS campus, it is something, certainly something to behold. I mean, the, the community element to it, and it gives you real positive feel for what it means to, to mobilise, let's put it that way, and to have a strong student body and one voice. Often it's, um, often it's a multitude of voices, but certainly when you are campaigning for something or you feel that something needs change. You definitely feel that SOASians have, have one voice. Um, and yeah, no, I think SOAS is very unique in that respect. And sort of final question for you, Chidi. Um, as as SOASians, what do you think it is that we should take away from Black History Month? Oh, that's quite um, 
it's uh, our takeaway should be looking at all those in the world, all those in the so was how hall of fame, and a lot of them going on to do a lot of great things, and um, kind of behoves us to kind of carve our niche, you know, whatever area we we choose, uh, we can certainly make a difference. I think that's one of the reasons why each student came to SOAS, especially those within the black community would have come to SOAS because they've got something, some sort of drive. And um, to know that, yes, we can certainly do it. It's something we should all strive for and get encouragement in to see that all those that made it had had um, They've all had challenges and overcame those challenges. Thank you. That's really good. And to you, of course, as well, the same question, John. What do you think as Salvation we should take away from Black History Month? We're doing this podcast to highlight some of the amazing staff that are at SOAS who have contributed to the community, as mentioned before. But we're also trying to introduce and highlight some of the reasons why students come to SOAS. And as someone that has been at SOAS for two years, what would you like the SOAS community to take away from Black History Month? What does it mean to you? Black is a incredibly hard question to answer, but I think ultimately what you should take away from Black History Month for Soasian is, you know, is, is pride. You know, you should be very proud to be, you know, to be Black first and foremost, to be African or Caribbean or wherever it is that you, um, you are from. And you should be proud to be a Soasian as well because, Although SOAS is built on sort of shaky foundations, it has certainly come to embody something which which we can be very proud of. Um, yeah, Black History Month, I think, is a time to sort of celebrate the people that have come before us, the people that are amongst us as well, you know, the chitties of SOAS and, yeah, the, the incredible black scholars and black professionals that we have in our network to really celebrate them and learn from them and give them give them a, a voice to, to, to talk about their experiences and, and allow them to sort of guide us because often, you know, we have, you know, speaking as a black, a young black man is that you have certainly a lack of role models. I think Black History Month certainly highlights the ones which are, you know, within your immediate grasp. Before I did this podcast, I, I, I had no idea who Chidi was. Not, not that you're not famous, Chidi, but... <laughs> 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 but yeah but it just highlights that you know why 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 didn't i know that why didn't i know that you know i had this excellent resource you know right on the SAS website um but black history month has come to highlight this this for me um and i wish that you know i'd come to know chidi when i first started because i think we both started in 2018 and so yeah he could have been someone that i reached out to and could have been a mentor for me during my time my my time at SAS. so yeah i think it's definitely about uplifting highlighting and being being proud of who you are um thank you that was really profound and really important like mentorship um acknowledgement and also recognition knowing that there are people out there who would be able to bring some of the um ideas and um inspirations that we have to the force it's really important to have this conversation and i really like to thank both of you for such an engaging and interesting conversation and of course um also um ask you all to um keep out for other um keep a lookout for other podcasts in the future so thank you shidi and thank you john it was a very interesting and enjoyable conversation absolute pleasure thank you very much yeah.